uh, it's a constant battle. <laughs> Some days it feels like I'm pushing that boulder up the hill the entire time, right? Mm -hmm. um, there have been times that things have gone more smoothly and there are times where it's uh, a complete cluster and mm. it's just so frustrating and you can't seem to get out of your own way. Uh, sometimes you just have to understand that if you are in this for the long haul, there will be ups and downs. Yeah. And sometimes no matter how smart you are, how clever you are, how well positioned you are, things just don't go your way. Mm -hmm. And there have been times where I'm like, wow, things are going really well. And then I'll look at like the last three or four projects we brought in and I'm like, it was so random how we got those jobs. Like, what would my life be like if we hadn't gotten those jobs, if they hadn't discovered me, all that mm. sort of stuff, which can be a dangerous game to play. Well, hello and welcome to Push To Be More. I'm your host, Matt Edmondson, and we're about to dive into another deep exploration of what truly fuels the journey of life. Oh yes, today, joining me today, I have an exciting guest, Rich Brooks from Flight New Media. And it's fair to say that Rich and I have been uh, on a fair few podcasts together. We're gonna be delving into his unique life experiences, the hurdles he's had to push through, the way he kind of recharges his batteries and what steps he's taken to be more. Now, don't forget, you can find all the show notes and the transcript of our conversation on our website, pushtobemore.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter? Each week, we'll zip all of the show's insights, links and goodies uh, directly to your inbox absolutely free. How cool is that? Now, this episode is brought to you by Orion Media, champions of meaningful conversations and creators of powerful podcasts. Oh, yes. Uh, have you ever thought about how your voice could ignite a movement or how your story could inspire a community? Hosting a podcast isn't just about talking. It's about creating, connecting and resonating. It's about owning your narrative, strategically reaching the right people and fostering a community that doesn't just listen but actually cares. So running my own podcast, I have seen firsthand the incredible impact it has had. But let's be real, the behind the scenes isn't always a walk in the park. Tech hitches, distribution dilemmas, strategizing stress, it can all be a bit of a handful. That's why Orient Media exists. They're the expert hands guiding your podcast journey ensuring you're never alone in the process. From setup to growth, they've got your back. They strip away the technicalities, leaving you to do what you're good at, connecting and deeply, authentically connecting with your audience. So if you're wondering how a podcast could supercharge your business growth, reach out to Orion Media at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Let's meet Rich Brooks, a digital marketing whiz who's been riding the online wave for a whopping quarter of a century. Uh, as the brain behind Flight New Media and the Agents of Change conference and podcast, Rich is the guiding light in the universe of search, social, and mobile marketing. Author of The Lead Machine, he's the go-to resource for businesses eager to conquer the digital space. With regular appearances as the tech guru on Maine's NBC affiliates, Rich is quite literally the face of modern marketing. So buckle up for a fun digital ride with our very own tech-savvy superhero, Rich. Welcome to the podcast, man. It's great to have you. It's great to be talking to you again. How are we doing? 
I'm just blown away by how good you made my bio sound. I mean, you improved it <laughs> tenfold over what you probably got off of my website or, or when I filled out the form. So I, mm. I really appreciate that. And serious question. Did you ever take voice lessons? Because I'm listening to you and I'm like, I will buy whatever you're selling. Right now. <laughs> and I listen to my own voice and I'm cracking. It's like up and down like I'm 13 years old and going through puberty. Yeah. So I don't know what you did, but you, you did it right. Oh, bless you. I have no idea. Um, I, 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 cause you, you've obviously, I mean, we were talking before we hit the record button. You have now, you're honing in on your 500th podcast episode on the Agents of Change it podcast. It is within reach. Yeah. Which is amazing. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, I think it deserves some of this. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I always like to be able to use my sound effects. Now, um, so, you know, you and I have done podcasting for a fair few while. We've been on each other's podcasts a few times. And um, one of the things that I learned early on was when you do stuff in podcasts and video, it, if you just talk like you normally talk, it kind of sucks any kind of feeling or intonation out of your voice, doesn't it? You kind of have to over-exaggerate a little bit for it to work on camera and for it to work on audio. I don't know if you found that. At least that's what I was told, which is why I get a little bit more excited when I do the uh, when I do the intros. I do a little bit more. I kind of have my stage voice on. Uh, it's <laughs> interesting, though. Word, years yeah. ago, I interviewed a guy who who was at the time running the Art of Charm uh, podcast and brand. Oh, wow. And he was talking to me about um, how fake everybody was when they do podcast interviews. And I felt awful because I'm like, hey, and here's Jordan from the, you know, it wasn't that bad. But <laughs> you got to find that balance, right? Because yeah. like yeah, I, yeah. the perfect person is the person who definitely brings energy to that conversation, rises and falls as necessary, mm -hmm. and at the same time doesn't come across as if they're a carnival barker. If they have those kind of things. <laughs> no, but I know um, what you mean. That's the balance you want to find, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true, uh, and it, it helps me when I read. I mean, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Uh, to, so, if you're a regular listener, you know what I'm talking about. The bios um, that you that um, Sadaf, the show's producer, gets when she gets them, she she started doing this thing where she rewrites them. Uh, she was, it's a bit like all the bios were a bit static and a bit boring. No offense if you've been on the show previously, but all bios are a bit sort of LinkedIn-y, aren't they, really? And so she's got into this habit of rewriting them in, in quite extraordinary ways, to the point where I think we should probably charge for this as a service. I agree. <laughs> I mean, after me, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> it's freebie for anybody who's a guest. You can right. use it. <laughs> I will tweak somebody's bio. And, and a lesson that I learned from... Um, it was it Michael O'Neill of the Solopreneur Hour, I believe it was, who told me, you never say the guest name until the end, like as if you were in the talk show. And ever since he said uh, that, I'm like, okay. oh, that's actually really cool. So that's what I started doing. So I do minimal stuff where I'll pull their name out uh, and then I'll say, and today we're talking to Matt Edmondson after I've kind of built you up quite a bit. And I do uh, like that, that kind of energy. Now, of course, people who see the podcast before they play it know who it is. And then I'll, you know, if I've got like, uh, you know, their website that mm -hmm. I have to mention is like, you know, Google ads by Jill, then it's going to be less of a surprise. But at the same time, that's, that's it. I, I'll punch it up occasionally. But um, yeah. what's your assistant's name again? Sadaf. Sadaf, she did a killer job on my bio. I'm yeah. totally stealing her work and calling it my own. 
Yeah, you totally should do that. And she'll be very flattered that you did. Uh, there's no doubt. So that is amazing. Uh, but no, I always, I always enjoy, I, I never read the bios before we get into the, so as soon as I hit the record button and we do the intro, that's the first time I read it, which is why I often find myself giggling or laughing or smiling because I just think <coughs> this is so well written. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's just as phenomenal. So New Flight Media um, is your company. Just tell the good listeners what that does. Yeah, so uh, about 26 years ago, I started a company which which became Flight after a while, um, and we do digital marketing. And so we build websites and we do branding. We do SEO, paid search, paid social, some organic social as well, a lot of content creation mm -hmm. for clients and just a lot around the strategy. So yeah. businesses come to us when they want to generate more leads online, as simple as that. And how did you get into it? Did you, uh, was this something you sort of stumbled into? Was this an evolution of a digital business over the years? Or was this, uh, I don't know, something that fell out of the sky and sort of into your lap? I've always been interested in computers and technology. We had an Apple IIe growing up, and I learned oh, how wow. to do simple programming on it. And so I was always kind of connected to computers, uh, went off to college, come back. And all of a sudden, there's all these articles in the uh, Boston Globe at the time, uh, reporters talking about the Internet. Mm. And I'm like, it pissed me off that reporters knew more than I did about computers. Right. So I went out and I bought uh, a new, I think it was the Mac Performa at the time, which was probably not the best computer ever to get on the internet, but whatever. Uh, did that, taught myself how to build web pages and do all that sort of stuff. Brought it to my company I worked for at the time, was a medical supply company. I was doing a lot of uh, sales on the road mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. built them a website while they weren't looking and they liked it so much, they took me off the road and put me in the office, which meant there was only six months before I was gonna quit because I couldn't stand being in the office mm -hmm. uh, there. But uh, that was basically the beginning. I, I just figured I'll start making websites for people. I thought maybe I had two years in me before either programmers learned how to design or designers learned how to program. I'd never <laughs> taken a business course, so I didn't know you could hire people more talented than you to yeah. do the things that you yeah. don't do well or that you don't <laughs> enjoy doing, which painfully I discovered over the next 26 years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how it was. It was a little bit of just like professional jealousy that I didn't mm -hmm. know as much as I wanted mm -hmm. to. And it was also something that I really enjoyed doing. And even though I never thought I was really all that interested in business, I find it really fascinating to sit down and talk to people about their business and figure out how they can get in front of the people they want to. Like that's yeah. probably the one part of the job I can't give up is yeah. that piece of it because I love that strategy piece. So yeah. but that's kind of what led me to the path I'm on right now. Fantastic. You know what? We share very similar stories because um, in the mid to late 90s, <clears throat> A friend of mine came and said, oh, I need a website. Do you know anybody that does them? These things called a website. And I said, to, I remember the conversation really clearly. I, there's some friends of mine in Liverpool who had a company that did, they just literally started a bit like yourself in the late 90s. And um, I said, well, there's these guys. They were called the Webshed back then. They're now called Mando and they're a massive agency. Um, and I said, there's these guys, but they charge a small fortune. Um, I said, but I know there's a bit of software out there. And if you buy the software, I'll figure it out. And um, I was working installing saunas and steam rooms at the time. Uh, and so did the same thing. We just started building websites, having a little bit of fun with it and see, seeing where it went. And here we are all these years later having conversations right. about how we run digital businesses. It's funny, isn't it, how these things sort of present themselves and you've no idea where it's going to lead to. 
Um, but just yeah. that small opportunity at that time has resulted in something quite big for you, right? Yeah. And like, you, you know, you and I both started just building websites. And but early on, I actually used to have a newsletter that would go out, not an email newsletter, mm -hmm. a physical print newsletter before everybody had emails. And most of it was just to educate people about websites. But I remember like my second article was about search engine optimization. And this predated Google. Like I was oh, writing wow. about how to get high up in Alta Vista and Yahoo. Um, but so it was also interesting to me because it wasn't just that I wanted to build websites. I wanted people to really get money out of them. Like I wanted yeah. it to make sense for them. So I didn't feel like they were giving me charity. And so that began way back then, like also understanding the marketing side of things and, and, building things a certain way so that they get found and, and all the other things along the way that we started to use to basically create relationships with with our customers. Fantastic. So when did the podcast talks? I mean, five, I've done a lot of podcasts, Rich, I'm not going to lie, but you have definitely done more than me 500 episodes. Um, when, when did that start in the whole process? Yeah, so I mean, 500, if I do them weekly, and maybe a couple times a year, I don't actually hit my due date. So that's close to 10 years of doing it. And I remember I was going to uh, events like Blog World and mm. New Media Expo and South By. And there was these podcasters there. And I had tried podcasting once before. And I hated it. Like mm. I absolutely hated it because it was not an interview show, first of all. So mm -hmm. I loved blogging. I could knock out a blog in like 20 minutes, the kind of blogs that used to be very popular. Now, eight hours, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but back then, I could knock out those blogs so quickly, but the podcast did not come easily to me because I'd write out the script and I'd practice it multiple times and I'd read it and I, the recording and I was editing and all the, it was like six hours for these 10 minute bits and I just didn't enjoy it and I stopped. And then when I started going to these blogging events, but then podcasting was starting to catch on. That's when I said, well, maybe I'll give it another try. And it was actually Michael Stelzner who runs Social Media Examiner. Yeah, he's got yeah. his own podcast, yeah. <clears throat> who kind of like took me under his wing, so to speak. And he was really, really bullish on podcasts back then, still is, and suggested that I would do well to have a podcast too. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'll turn it into an interview show, which mm -hmm. I find is a lot easier than coming up with 500 yeah. unique topics and talking about them. Yeah. And... I found that there were so many things I enjoyed about the podcast and so many benefits to my company, but also to my professional growth yeah. that I probably wouldn't have found any other way. So yeah. that was kind of the beginning. And, and originally it was called the marketing agents uh, and the agents of change was a conference I had started. And then after like a hundred episodes, I'm like, this is killing me. I've got my company. I've got the marketing agents. I've got agents of change. Each one has all their social stuff and agents of change and the marketing agents were basically the same content talking to the same people. So I just kind of folded the marketing agents into the agents of change. And, um, and that was it. So I, I just continued on nothing much changed except the branding and the voiceover at the beginning. And, uh, the music. It was a little more of an Indiana Jones feel yeah, versus yeah. kind of like the the steampunk superheroes of the Agents of Change. But other than that, it was the same kind of content. And mm. so I just kept it rolling. Fantastic. Well, uh, congratulations. Again, let me... Um, congratulations uh, on uh, the milestone of 500. Let's see for that. Let's How do you that. afford the studio audience? I mean, you've got to feed them. <laughs> and they just clap on demand as well. They're very exactly. obedient. Uh, 
<laughs> but the um, I mean, it is a big a big milestone, isn't it? Five hundred uh, episodes of a podcast. Do you have any ideas on how you're going to celebrate that, or is it just going to roll I, into five hundred and one? It probably will, on a certain level, roll into five hundred and one because right now I'm so focused on. Uh, bringing back the Agents of Change conference. I was kind of hoping that it was going to work out like the 500th episode would be like right around the time of the conference, yeah. but it's going to be a couple of months earlier. Um, and I didn't feel like stalling or putting it on hiatus just sure. to make that work. So um, I'll probably do something looking back on 500 episodes, but I don't have like a team behind me where I can go like, get the greatest clips from the last 500 mm -hmm. episodes and we'll do a retrospective. So I think I'll talk a little bit about how the show's grown and, and what kind of things I like doing and, and why I pursue it. But I have not figured that out and I've only got about a month. So I've really got to get on that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, for 300, you, know, you remember that movie 300? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And it's, I forget the guy's name, begins with a G, but he's got his shirt off. Oh, so Gerard, I made a joke. Um, Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a joke of I put uh, myself on the movie poster, just my head on his body. So it's quite a step up for me <laughs> when I celebrated the 300th episode. Um, and then somebody in my office who, were, who no, no, no longer works here, but blew it up into a poster size and wanted to hang it on the wall. I'm like, I, I love what you did. I'm not hanging that up. It's just so <laughs> embarrassing. Um, I don't know if there's a movie 500. I mean, there's the 500 days of summer, but I don't think it has the same resonance as 300. No, so I'm not no. really sure what I can do. No, I'm, I probably I'm sure should have thought of this before. Reach out to like everybody who's ever been on my show and be like, hey, can you give me a little clip for my 500th episode? Yeah, yeah, 500 little write clips. That down right now. Yeah, yeah, do that. Get some clips from people. The other thing you could do, of course, is get Michael Stelzner and say, listen, come on the show and interview me about the journey of the show because you started this thing. Uh, and That's so you awesome. could have a conversation with him. I did on my 100th episode have a friend of mine interview me so we could talk mm. about what it's like hitting 100, but, but bringing Mike back on. I mean, he's been on a few times. He's actually probably, I don't have a lot of people who come back multiple times because I'm mm. always looking for new voices, but he's been on probably more than anybody else anyway. Mm. So it might be worth reaching out to him. Mate, I Good just, idea. I Great just ideas. a thought. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, so business then. Um, you've, you've been doing this business uh, for a fair few years, it's fair to say. Um, again, we were laughing a little bit about this uh, beforehand where people just go, you're so old. We get this all the time. You're so old. Um, <laughs> you don't say that, but you hear that for sure. <laughs> just in the You've been doing this for so long and your hair is very gray. <laughs> yes. Were there, were, there, were there inside toilets when you were a boy, Matthew? Right, exactly. <laughs> so we're you using coconuts to originally record your podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is brilliant, isn't it? So um, so it's, it's fair to say we uh, both you and I, uh, Richard, have been around a little while. Now, business, has it always been straightforward or um, what sort of, I guess, where have you had to push through on a few things to sort of get to where you are now? Uh, it's a constant battle. <laughs> Some days it feels like I'm pushing that boulder up the hill the entire time, right? Mm -hmm. um, there have been times that things have gone more smoothly and there are times where it's uh, a complete cluster and mm. it's just so frustrating and you can't seem to get out of your own way. Uh, sometimes you just have to understand that if you are in this for the long haul, there will be ups and downs. Yeah. And sometimes no matter how smart you are, how clever you are, how well positioned you are, things just don't go your way. Mm -hmm. And there have been times where I'm like, wow, things are going really well. And then I'll look at like the last three or four projects we brought in and I'm like, 
it was so random how we got those jobs. Like, what would my life be like if we hadn't gotten those jobs, if they hadn't discovered me, all that mm. sort of stuff, which can be a dangerous game to play. Yeah. But what I try and do is figure that over the long, it's kind of like investing in stocks. Mm -hmm. In the long run, you'll always make money investing in stocks. Yeah. But the day you invest, you may lose $20,000 the next day, right? So it's yeah. like, you can't look at the short term like that. Mm -hmm. You've got to have that long term mentality. So, you know, there have been times when I'm, I remember distinctly one time I'm like, okay, well, we know how to write HTML now. We'll never need to really improve our skills. And then it was like HTML4 came and CSS came and I wasn't really paying attention back then. And all of a sudden I found that our websites just didn't look as good or perform as well as others. And I, we had to go to the team and say, we need to figure all this stuff out. And I try and remember that every time I think things are really moving smoothly, that this is a temporary situation mm -hmm. and you will have to keep reinventing yourself. And you know, the ages of change, that's kind of like a mantra. It's like, yeah. I, I had an employee once who complained that things were always changing. I'm like, change is our friend. Yeah. Because if things always stay the same, everybody could get to where we are. But yeah. if we can be more adaptable than any other business mm. like ours out there or near the top of that that food chain, then we'll, we'll always be successful. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes more than others, but the bottom line is we will be playing the odds and we will always be successful. But, but that's definitely a challenge and, and growth is a challenge. And mm. These days, finding the right employees are a challenge, or sometimes even finding any employees are a challenge. Mm. I mean, we're, I don't know about uh, the rest of the world, but in the U.S., we have a huge uh, worker shortage. And mm. so it's, it's very challenging, especially because we like to hire local. And yeah. so we live in the top right corner of this, this, the country. It can be a challenge to bring in people who fit with what we want to do and have the skills that we're looking for. Yeah, it's too true. And I mean, and you didn't you guys didn't even have to go through Brexit, uh, which England went through no, Brexit. No. And of course, half the labor force up and left. Um, and so, yeah, I was in the States a few weeks ago and it really surprised me. Um, like in the in the town where I was staying for a few days, the um, what's that donut franchise called? Um, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. That's Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Krispy Kreme. Uh, their shop or their store, you know, the the um, everything was shut down um, and they closed it yeah. down like a, a few months ago because they just literally couldn't get the staff to keep it open. Um, We've lost you, a lot of good restaurants in town for the yeah. same reason. Like the people are like, I just can't find the staff to keep us open. It's, it's fascinating. Um, why is there a sudden, is this all come out of COVID? Is this also the back end of COVID people not wanting to go back into work kind of a thing? I've literally gone online and asked people smarter than me, explain it to me like I'm five years old. Where did everybody go? Yeah. And this is not one of those rants about like, you can't find good help anymore because people mm. have been saying that since the day they started employing yeah. people. I think it's a combination. Because of COVID, you had a lot of people who were nearing retirement opt out. You right. also had a lot of people who realized that their companies didn't give I don't know what I can say on the show, but two craps about them. <laughs> like they just didn't care about them as human beings. Yeah. And they were like, we're fed up with this. And, uh, you know, it just became one of these things where a lot of people opted out of the system. Mm. COVID definitely kept people at home. Um, and then when companies started saying you have to come back to the office, a lot of people were like, I don't want to go back to the office. Mm. So some of it, I think, was kind of a writing of the ship because I think that even though I'm an employer, I'm a good one. I think employers had a little bit too much power and we're, yeah. we're not respecting the fact that we rely on others to help us be successful. Yeah. I think that was you know, part of it. Not here at Flight. I love my employees. Everything's <laughs> wonderful. And they're all but, amazing. But I do think that's a challenge. 
And, mm. and I think that there's a lot of, in the U.S., I think there's a lot of mental health issues going on right now, mm. in part because of COVID, in part because of the political situation. And yeah. it just makes it harder to find people who want to work either in your office or even remotely. It, it just becomes a challenge. So yeah. there's, I think there's a lot of factors going on. Uh, very it's a fair comment i was just very grateful that chick-fil-a was open because you know i can't mm-hmm. go to the states and not grab myself a chick-fil-a um so the the the, the sort of the, the journey through business you've got new flight media now you've you've got your stuff how was covid for you was it was covid if i can put it this way um you'll know what i mean but was covid good for, for you guys or was it a bit of a, right. a kick isn't in the that balls? an awful thing to say but yeah. no um uh, COVID was good for flight. I, I don't like to say it quite like that, but mm. what, and, and you probably, I'm wondering if you had the same experience. Um, what happened is after the first couple of months where everybody's just absolutely freaking out. And we said as a company right off the bat, um, we did a couple things at the time to mitigate the fallout because we didn't know how long it was going to go. We certainly didn't think it was going to go on as long as it did, but you know, we reached out to our clients and we said, if you need to update anything like a COVID message or anything COVID related on your website, we're just going to do it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, we also like clients who had contracts with us, but they were in things like um, one was a, uh, a doggy daycare. Well, nobody's going anywhere and no one's going to work. So the doggy yeah. daycare basically had to shut its doors. Um, and then we also did some travel business stuff and we were just like, don't even worry about it. You, you don't have to pay us. You just, you're done. We don't, mm. we're not going to worry about it. Like you're out of your contract if that's what you want. And, and they needed to. Mm. Um, so that was part of it. And then I spent a lot of time on video and in emails, basically trying to help other business owners navigate this. And I offered a free hour to any of our clients. Like if you just want to get on the phone and kind of talk through mm. what you're going through and if we can be of any service, but it, the call is free. It's just because we want you to succeed. We want you to survive, um, which ended up, of course, getting us more business even during mm. those slow times. But once that was over, the next thing that happened is all of a sudden everybody realized, oh, we're in this for the long haul mm-hmm. and we're going to have to deal with this. And people are not coming to our stores anymore and they're becoming much more comfortable being online and all this stuff. So all of a sudden all these businesses realize they really need to up their digital marketing and their websites. So we saw 2021 was the best year in company history. Like we can Mm. barely keep up and it was, you know, fantastic on the one level. And people would say, how are you doing? I'm like, I don't want to say this out loud, but I'm doing great. I know the world is falling apart, but honestly, like I'm, I'm basically quarantined with my girlfriend. My family is, in their own little pods, but they're all healthy and safe. And my company is busier than we've ever been. So from that standpoint, it was good. And then coming out of COVID still stronger than it was before, not as good as that one year. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've also found that I'm talking to a lot of industries right now that went through something similar, like Mm. hard uh, hardscapers and landscapers. And then just the other week, um, uh, people who who are in the stove business, like uh, wood stoves and stuff like that. Everybody was turning their homes into castles during COVID. And so they were all super busy because yeah. we had no money to spend to go anywhere. Um, and now, of course, all the people who would be buying things now, well, they've already gotten taken care of a yeah, day yeah, before. So yeah. how do you market yourself when all of a sudden there's a lot less interest yeah. in your industry? Yeah, it's a big, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And we were the same in a lot of ways. Um, our business, I mean, I sold one of our e-commerce businesses during COVID because every, everybody wanted to be in e-commerce at that point in time. Um, and so we sold that business. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fascinating and sort of coming through it. What's um, 
What's the journey then been like the last two years for you sort of coming out of COVID, a, a sort of adjusting to the new normal? Um, I'm curious to know what it's been like for you, Rich, and, and, and at, at, at um, New Flight, but also what you found with your clients, uh, you know, what uh, and you talked about, you know, um, the fire guys and the and how they, they do life now where the demand is maybe not as great as it was, but what else have you sort of discovered? Well, a big change is just the office politics, not politics, but the way everybody at Flight New Media works together because mm. we hired like three or four people during COVID. I had never met them in person. Um, mm. It was interesting. The first time we all went together, we, we put together a, a schooner trip out of Portland and uh, I was like joking online. I'm like, I'm meeting some of my employees for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no idea how tall they are. I don't know what the back of their head looks like. I assume they're three-dimensional, but I really can't be sure. Um, but then trying to get people to come back into the office, which I was always like, let's use the carrot and not the stick. And mm -hmm. to be honest, one of the things I think a lot of us learned during COVID is we can actually be more productive at home for certain types of work mm -hmm. than we can in the office. Um, and there were a lot of big companies in America really pushing people, demanding people come back in. I didn't want to be like that. I actually did have a couple people who were kind of like part of my leadership team. Yeah. They wanted to bring people back into the office and we agreed that we would require two days in the office. I was waiting for some pushback from people, but people didn't really give us any pushback. They just said, okay. Yeah. And uh, it's been, you know, it's been primarily good, but trying to find that balance and develop a company culture when not everybody's in the office on the same days. Uh, has been a challenge because yeah. there's some work we do, and I'm sure it's similar to your business, some work we do that is very uh, head down, you know, you're just doing research or you're doing writing or you're doing recording. And then other stuff that's very collaborative where you want to bounce ideas off each other and the yeah. clients as well. So I think it's about what do you take, what were the good things? And I put that in air quotes, but what are the good things that came out of COVID? And I think there were a lot of good things. Yeah, like, yeah. We learned to use technology in new ways. We learned to work remotely. Uh, we made a lot of more face-to-face -face connections with our clients than we ever did when it was just phone calls. Um, but just recently, I've been pushing the team to go out and meet with our clients at their place of business. We just mm -hmm. came back from a trip uh, the other day where we went up and met a couple of our uh, clients who have manufacturing concerns and got tours of the place. And that was great. We have a couple more coming up, another manufacturer, another person who does like a kind of a food hall area. And mm. I want my team to be there a to just kind of make those connections with people because it is different when you meet people yeah, in person. Yeah. Um, and also because I think it's really important if you're a strategic company like ours to really get into the physical space of your clients to really understand what they're going through, how they deal with their customers yeah. and everything else as well. No, fantastic, fantastic. So um, what, does, what does the future look like for you? What, what does growth look like for, for the company? For me and, and the company, um, I'm not looking for huge growth. Like that's not my number one thing. I do feel that we're a little bit understaffed right now where mm -hmm. everybody's just completely, you know, to the wall with work right now. And so it's tough if somebody's going on vacation, maternity leave, whatever it is. So we should be at 10 people at least right now and we're at eight. So I got to fill those two roles. I think that a perfect size for a company like ours would be 15 to 18 people. So that's probably what I'd like to get to. That just means I can be too deep in all the most important positions in the company where right now it's like we've 
we don't have anybody on the bench. Um, and the other thing is, I'm outside of like that number, I'm not looking to grow exponentially. For mm. me, I'd rather be profitable and focus on the profitability and doing quality work. And I know mm. anybody who would come on the show would be like, and, and we care about quality, but it's true. Also, it's like if we're doing quality work and getting quality results, it makes the sales part of my job so much easier because I can just show the results. So, you know, we've talked about should we be taking on fewer clients and just really putting more emphasis mm. on those clients or how can we scale up? How can we use AI? Because what I want is I want to <clears throat> after 25 years in business now, over 26 years, things change for you. Yeah. And this is the old man coming out of me right now. But <laughs> bring it on, old man. Let's do it. I believe that like there's a lot of anti-capitalist sentiment in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And I totally get it. Yeah. But I don't think capitalism is the problem. I think extreme capitalism is the problem. And it's when you look back on some of the tax rates in the US when everybody had an opportunity and there were jobs for everybody and the roads were good and, and there was all those things happened. The rich were being taxed at like 90%. Now they're taxed at like, you know, Jeff Bezos pays less in taxes than I do. That's wrong. And I think yeah. that America has this idea like capitalism is good and there's no limit to it. And the truth of the matter is that anything in the extreme becomes bad. Mm -hmm. Religion in the extreme, politics in the extreme, love in the extreme when you mm -hmm. get to the extreme you've gone too far and i think we're in a state where it's gone too far and i believe that we can put that when we have somebody who is ethically and morally in in alignment with the way things should be that we should support, support those businesses mm -hmm. and i want to see more people who have and uh you know and obviously different people have different ethics and different yeah. moralities but i want to see more people who want to do good in the world get into business and get into entrepreneurship because yeah. i really think that business can move the world forward in a positive way faster than almost anything can faster mm -hmm. than governments faster than nonprofits. but if you let extreme capitalism win then basically it pushes out all the people who could have done good mm -hmm. by creating businesses of value so yeah. i just want flight to be a business of value i want us to be profitable but i want everybody from employees to clients to vendors who interact with flight to come out better than they went in. And that for me would be a very successful legacy mm. whenever I decide that I'm no longer interested in doing this, which will probably be when I'm dead. But the bottom line is like, <laughs> that's where I am right now in terms of my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. It's like, what do I want flight to be capable of? Mm. Yes, quality work, but more than that now. Yeah. It's interesting listening to you talk, um, Rich, because I, I guess- That's I've interesting. My girlfriend never says that. <laughs> well but you should talk to her in a podcast channel maybe that'll change things maybe that'll um, yeah. but there's there's some really interesting uh, there's a really interesting book that was given to me by a friend of mine from dallas texas a guy called rich rising and in that they track the different decades and how people uh, respond in the different decades of life um, and how the 60s are your most uh, most productive decade, which uh, thrills me with joy. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'll be Something there at some point. Work. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is when you're in your um, 30s, 40s, you know, they sort of you're going through this sort of there's this change in your brain where you, you move from what they call success to significance. Mm. 
Um, and so life stops being a, necessarily about success. Success is not a bad thing, but the focus becomes much more about significance. And given that most businesses started are started by people in their 40s who are in the significance sector, um, I totally agree with you that business actually is a force for good. And I think um, a lot of people now are focused on or wanting businesses to step up and do more because I, they realize that actually it's probably better to buy from a better company than um, get involved in, in very polarizing politics. And so I find, I find that fascinating listening to you talk because I've, I've seen the same thing here. So what does a business of value look like for you? What does that, what does that phrase mean? How do you, how do you, what is the value you're trying to create if that makes sense? Right. Yeah. And so I obviously this is going to vary person to person. Mm -hmm. And what I may think is valuable is not valuable to somebody else. But for me, I want to see professional growth in all my employees. Like I don't want them to feel stuck or static. I want them mm -hmm. to be continually challenged and learning new things. Um, for me personally, I want to be learning new things. I want to keep on being interested in, in things like AI that come up and change our yeah. businesses. Um, I want to be doing good work, work that I'm proud of, mm -hmm. work that does that offers value to the client. I mean, when people invest in a marketing firm or a branding firm like mine, they're expecting to get more money out than they put in. And we really have to yeah. uh, make sure that we're taking care of them that way. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean we're always going to do it. I mean, like every business, we have some misses along with our heads. So it, it's not about having a perfect record, but it's about mm. striving to get better all the time. I think it's important for me to be taking the excess out of the company and putting it towards something good and creating mm. value. So f we were talking earlier about COVID and in COVID, I stepped up, I say, you know, I, I started talking about how companies should to treat their employees during this period of time, how to stay sane when you're locked down. All the, like I spent a lot of time kind of getting on my soapbox and talking about how mm. businesses should be run and how employers should be treating their employees. And then in the US, George Floyd gets married, uh, murdered. Sorry, yeah. that was a terrible, weird tight, uh, slip up, but he gets murdered mm. by the police. And you know the, the Black Lives Matter movement took off and mm -hmm. I didn't know what to say. Because yeah. as a white male who lives in the first or second whitest state in the nation and currently has no non-white employees, I didn't really feel like I could say anything. And yet mm. I also saw some people saying, I can't believe these companies aren't saying anything. So I felt yeah. kind of like stuck. Yeah. And I felt that like anything we do might just be looked like as, you know, whitewashing or posturing. Yeah. I ultimately settled based on a, a, a story I had heard on creating a scholarship at our local high school for uh, students of color. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was, it was like, we're a business and we care about business and we care about entrepreneurship. Yeah. And when I say we, it's me pushing it forward, but I have a team of people who more or less agree with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the ones who don't just don't seem to care one way or the other. And so I started a scholarship, which I call black minds matter, which I was worried that might be kind of a little bit, um, some people may not like it, whatever side you're on, but it just felt like the right thing to say at the time. And we've been running that for three years and we give a thousand dollar scholarship uh, every year to a student uh, of, of color who's looking to get into business because I really do believe that if we can put some of these students in a position where they can create their own 
positive impact on the world, then we've done something of value. So for me, yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, I, I'm happy that we did. And I'm really proud of uh, continuing on that tradition. And I want to see it grow. Fantastic. That's really cool, man. I, I like that because like you, I was you, you, uh, you do get trapped between this. I need to say something. I need to do something. I, is this going to be tokenism? Is this going to be white splaining? Is this mansplaining? Is this, you know, with, with everything that's going on and you, sometimes you just don't know what to say and when to say it. And I, I remember reading um, the book and listening to a lady called Chinny McDonald. Um, and she wrote a book called God is not a white man. Um, and it's one of the most extraordinary books I've ever read. And I thought actually, um, we do need to somehow engage in this. And the fact that you did the scholarship fund, I think, is a, is a great idea, actually, and and, uh, and super genius, um, which fascinates me, uh, you know, that this whole topic came up um, out of that. Because I, I remember when I, I used to live in North Carolina um, back in the early 90s. So uh, I'm, I spent a year or two living in North Carolina. And the racism was just extraordinary um, at the time. Well-meaning, God-fearing, loving people, but were extremely racist and and didn't see it, didn't understand it. And it's it's one of these things that's become sort of something that we talk about more and more and challenge more and more, which is a good thing. Uh, and I'm pleased to see a lot of changes has, has been made, but um, that's really cool. That's really cool. So you're running the business, you're trying to build and grow into being a company of of value of, of more value because obviously you're doing some great stuff now and there's some going to be some great opportunities for you in the in the future how do you keep yourself charged how do you keep yourself sort of on your game if you like um how do you recharge your batteries so yeah that feels like two different things so i would say I'm still endlessly fascinated with the kind of stuff that's going on right now in the world of technology. And that's what keeps me sharp and mm -hmm. engaged. Things like, you know, AI right now is just, for me, absolutely fascinating because I've yeah. always been fascinated by technology and how it impacts people and then mm -hmm. how people create new technology. So this to me is like such an interesting time to be alive. Uh, and I, I, I'm just amazed by it. I'm fascinated by it. You know, I, I want to see how it all turns out. It, mm -hmm. To me, AI feels as big as the internet. Like when yeah, the internet just, came, like, it really it, does. It's that yeah. seismic. Yeah. Um, so just that kind of stuff. And also what also keeps me engaged is as I've shifted my role in the company, trying to train people up and really like trying to make them the best they can be, that also kind of keeps me engaged and sharp and excited about what we're doing. Right. The other part of the question is how do I recharge my batteries? Because even though I can have a great energetic day at work, it, it, it can be depleting. And I often will talk about the fact that like when I get on stage, which is my favorite place to be, like I just love being on stage, doing live, per not performances, but live presentations. Yeah. And I get so excited, it's like a drug. Mm -hmm. But like mm -hmm. any drug, then uh, there's the crash afterwards. So usually yeah, you'll yeah, find me at yeah. the end of the night curled up in a ball somewhere. Because um, <laughs> I've spent all my extrovert credits for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so for me lately, and this came out of COVID too, is I discovered a lot of hobbies that didn't require screen or didn't require much screen. So um, I got a, I got the master class with the thing where celebrities teach you how to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And the best one I found, there were two that really hit me during COVID. One was um, I'm going to forget the guy's name, 
but he was the OG, the original gardener. And he literally started gardening in South Central LA. It's an amazing, Robert, fin- Robert or Roger Finley, great story. And, and he, his was one of my favorite of the masterclasses that I've mm. watched. But he talks about gardening. And I learned a whole bunch about soil, which then got me into making compost, which then forced me to make a compost bin. And that actually got me slightly into carpentry. And then all of a sudden, I inherited some tools and I started getting into woodworking. And I suck, right? I suck, but I love it. I love going into the garage and I love using the power tools and sometimes the non-power tools and making things that like probably don't deserve to be in the house, but I'm just so damn (laughs) proud of having finished something. I actually used to say, I don't make anything that doesn't go in the garage or out back, but I did make some cutting boards that there's a maker studio near here. I took a Mm -hmm. course, we made some really nice cutting boards. And then I actually made a record player stand because we got a record player for Christmas, as we call it in our house. Um, And yeah, (laughs) since I'm Jewish and she's not, um, it was anyway, that's a whole nother podcast, but (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, I'm just, I enjoy making it and I, I enjoy like learning about the craft of that. So for me, that's recharging just, f- and, mm. and also gardening to a lesser degree, just like getting out there and doing something where I'm not in front of a screen the whole day, because mm. me, I will get up in the morning, I will rush to work, I'll spend 10 hours in front of the computer, mm. I'll go home, eat dinner, and I could play Diablo for the rest of the night. Right. And then I'll go into bed and I'll play another game on my iPad until I'm yeah. so tired I can't hold it. And then I'll switch to my iPhone and then I pass out. So that's not healthy, right? And I recognize that even though I, I have trouble stopping it. But that's what I would do if I was single and by myself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, finding those hobbies for me that don't require screen, um, that's been really, that's how I recharge my batteries days. And of course, my girlfriend and my daughters and my friends, that all makes mm-hmm. a big difference too. Um, but yeah, and exercise. Actually, that's I forgot that one too. I, I like going to the gym. I'm not mm-hmm. huge or 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 swole or anything but i like staying in shape and i like feeling good about it so i hit the gym about three times a week um and uh yeah fantastic the more you talk rich the more i think we're like brothers um apart from the fact i'm not jewish why are we living so far away (laughs) like why like we should be going out and and grabbing beers and going for bike rides and we should totally be doing that i when i sold my um beauty company during covid we moved warehouse uh, so we moved to a bigger warehouse, despite me selling a big chunk of our, our fulfillment. We moved to a bigger warehouse. And in the back of the warehouse, there's like this section which we didn't really need. And it wasn't massive. It's maybe, what, 400 square foot, something like that. It's, it's a nice little area in the back of this uh, warehouse. So I, I built a wall. I fenced it off and I just told to the team, that's my space. And um, as a little treat to myself, I filled it with some new woodworking tools. And nice. so, so yeah, so I, I put in a table saw, I put in a band saw and a planer joiner and, or thickness planer, so depending on which side of the Atlantic you are. And we, we added a few things in there because I'd always had like a little workshop in the bottom of my basement, but now I have a slightly bigger workshop uh, at the office and I'll be heading there tomorrow to carry on making my daughter's bed. So I love the fact you're into oh, joinery, man. Awesome. Yeah, you're ahead of me on that, but I definitely, yeah, I've got the table saw. I don't have a bandsaw. That would be nice. I think my next thing is I'd like to get a jointer. We, I have a planer, thickness mm-hmm. planer, um, which is really good for, here's how I am. Like I'm at this point in my life, I'm like, I'd like to make this project because it's going to require me to spend 500 to $1,000 on a new tool that I'll use once. <laughs> so for like me, me, woodworking is as much about spending money I shouldn't be as it is about actually creating Yeah, things. it's so true, isn't it? Because you're just like, 
Um, oh, I can. I made um, some plantation shutters for that for the for, for mine and Sharon, my wife's bedroom. So I made these plantation shutters out of beech, and I really enjoyed making them. And the materials uh, were way cheaper if I made them, and I made them out of solid beech, and they were way cheaper, better quality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, the tools I needed to make said <laughs> shutters. Right. I just put the cost of them in a different ballpark. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have used some of those tools again, but it, there's just something quite giddy and joyful about getting a new power tool. I don't know what it is, but I just love it. I love the shopping for it. Um, yeah, so, I yeah. agree. <laughs> I love uh, everything about it, even when it is the, on the screen, like my favorite woodworking channels and seeing how these guys who are years yeah. ahead of me are doing it. I just find the whole thing fascinating. Well, keep your eyes peeled because at some point soon I'll be launching my woodworking YouTube channel. Uh, and I will be your first subscriber. Fantastic. I'll let you know when it's done. We've done four projects already. Um, I just need to get one of the guys in the team to edit them. With my, my idea being that probably, I, you know, I've, I've turned 50. I'm, I'm now approaching 60. At 60, I might have a following that I could maybe do something with and just do woodworking. I don't know. But we're going to give it a go and see, see how it gets on. But, um, but why not? One of the things that um, is a little known fact, Rich, about me is that I cut three of my fingers off with a table saw once being very stupid mm. with uh, a table saw making a kitchen. I was making a kitchen uh, as a favor to a friend of mine who worked for the health and safety, uh, <laughs> which is an office in the government, which is just mad keen about making sure you, 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 you are connected to safety standards when you're working. And he was the health and safety inspector for woodworking machinery. And at his house, <laughs> I managed to cut through my fingers off. Now, fortunately, the you know the doctors uh, managed to sew my fingers back on. They all work, although the tip of my right finger has has uh, is no longer there, as you can see if you're seen on camera. Yes. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I did, because I did this 19 years ago, one of the things that um, I did uh, was as my kids were growing up. I've got three kids. They're all um, you know uh, all. All, uh, all in their 20s or late teens. And um, as they were growing up, the kids would just look at your finger and just look at you like something's not quite right. Right. Or uh, their friends would just come around and you'd be like, something's not quite right about him. And so I, they would look at my finger and they'd go, why is your finger funny? And so I'd say to them, well, and I'd make up different stories. My favorite story was, I was massaging Sharon's foot and it just melted off. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm not these, sure if they would know what to do with that, yeah. Well, no, these young kids just wouldn't go anywhere near Sharon for a little while. They just stood further and further away from her. <laughs> oh, I got into trouble for that, Rich. Not going to lie. But you know what? It was worth it. <laughs> I was curious to know if you got a skill saw. Is that what it's called uh, for your table saw? The table saw is a little bit scary to me. And I have, I had an older one that literally I, I got the kickback like they show in the videos yeah, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. And it hit me in the stomach so hard that I had to take a knee for like five minutes and oh. I had like Aurora Borealis like bruising across mm. my stomach and chest. Um, so, I, but the skill saw, I guess you cannot cut off a finger because the second it feels flesh, it shuts oh, off. Oh, you're talking about saw stop. Uh, the saw stop, that's what it is, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, uh, I'm sorry, dear listeners, if you're getting bored of woodwork, we'll stop talking about this soon. Um, my dad was in the States and I, this was, I saw the saw stop saws and because obviously I cut my finger off 
um, I, I, my dad, I said to them, I said, go and see them because he was near where their head, head office was. I want to understand what's going on here because I want the import license into the UK. This was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, and we just couldn't get it to work because I thought, actually, I mean, we're a safety conscious sort of place, uh, probably over, overly so here in the UK. And um, I thought, actually, we could do really well with those. Um, but we we never could get them here until recently. Festool have taken that technology and put it on one of their sites also. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I wish we had them because I would have bought one. Um, I bought a Laguna table saw with a cast iron bed and it is as smooth as butter, man. Let me tell you, it is awesome. Yeah, I went cheap and I got one with more of a plastic one and I started hating it the minute I bought it. So that yeah. may be something I replace, but we'll see. Well, the more you stick with it, the more you'll invest in better better tools. It's just the way it is. Exactly. Listen, Rich, we could talk about woodwork all night, but I dare say we should probably move on. Um, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to connect, find out more about Flight Media, maybe work with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they can visit our website at takeflightflyte.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about my podcast or the conference, you can go to theagentsofchange.com. And if they want to... Just connect with me. I am the Rich Brooks on just about every platform out there. And LinkedIn is probably where you'll get the fastest response. Fantastic. Fantastic. We will, of course, link to Richard's info in the show notes, which you can get along for free, along with the transcript at pushtobemore.com. Or they will be coming direct to your inbox if you've signed up to the newsletter. Uh, Rich, listen, I, I, I don't I've lost count of how many podcasts we've done together now, but thoroughly enjoy every single one of them. And it's just a joy and a privilege, man, to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. You are an absolute legend. I appreciate it, Matt. And you asked some of the best questions out there. So thank you for inviting me back. Oh, you sweet talker, you. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a wrap on another fantastic conversation. A massive round of applause for Rich. Oh, yes. Uh, for joining us today and shedding light on his journey. A huge thanks again to Orion Media for all you change makers out there contemplating podcasting as your new vehicle of expression and connection definitely connect with them at orientmedia.com. Now, remember to keep pushing to be more. Oh, yes. Don't forget to follow the show wherever you get your podcasts from because we've got some more seriously compelling conversations coming up uh, and we don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. Rich has to bear it. I've got to bear it. You've got to bear it as well. Push to be more is produced by Orion Media. Oh yes, it is for transcripts or show notes. Swing over to the website pushtobemore.com. And a big kudos and shout out to the team that makes this show possible: the wonderful Salaf Bainon and Tanya Hutzelak. And a big shout out to Josh Edmondson for the incredible theme music. So from Rich and from me, thank you so much for joining us. Have an awesome week wherever you are in the world. I'll catch you on the flip side. Until then, keep pushing. Bye for now.